Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, hello there. Good afternoon, and thank you so much for joining me today. And I also want to really thank you for for just really supporting me in this whole thing with my book, and it should be coming out in about two weeks. It's called Wars to Peace, Keeping Relationships from Going Nuclear, and it is the human manual. And I'm so glad that it is finished, and I think my husband is probably happier than I am that it's finished. (laughs) But I think you're going to really enjoy this book, so thank you for all of just being willing, you know, to write some endorsements for it when it comes out on Amazon in a couple of weeks, and we'll keep letting you know about this. I would love it if you could just endorse it in that way. So we are talking today about a very important thing, and that's recovering, recovering life after a toxic relationship. And so if you've ever been in one, which I don't know how anybody could avoid them. I mean, I would hope that we would avoid not having too many of them, but it's nearly impossible to not have had or currently being in a toxic relationship. That's just humans. And we do have a condition as humans. And so I want you to think about this just in the very, like an overview of what I'm wanting you to learn today is the most effective way that I have found to heal from a toxic, hurtful, deceitful, abusive, painful, destabilizing, maybe even shaming relationship is to do three things. Firstly and foremost, I want you to recognize the importance of reestablishing your base. And when I mean your base, I'm not necessarily talking about your career or, you know, whatever you were doing or shouldn't be doing or could be doing. I mean internally, who you really are. Because toxic relationships have a tendency to take us away from who we are. That's why they're so destabilizing. So it's important that you reestablish, hey, this is who I am. This is my value system. These are my likes. These are my dislikes. You know, these are my wants. These are my needs. This is how I have fun. 
whatever that may be, that you get back to your base, your true identity, who you really are. And I want you to, to think about how do we reclaim the person we were before the relationship? Now, I say that with kind of a caveat because many times God is going to cause a good thing from a bad thing. So we need to say to ourselves, how do I reclaim that person? Or maybe some of those things about me I need to leave behind and really become the person I was intended to be, your own best version of you. Nobody can be you. Nobody can be as good as you. Nobody can be as bad as you. It's all a very unique process. Secondly, I want you to give yourself time to heal and to work on healing. Work on healing your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit. It's important in the healing process. as It's like putting back together and reestablishing your life without that relationship. So what is that going to look like? How do I put things back together if I have a void in my current relationship because it's ended? How do I, how do I put things back together? Well, a lot of that comes with some self-introspection, praying, talking with a therapist, friends, family, pastor, whoever that may be, that helps to just really listen and listen to what's going on inside of you. Because toxic relationships really get us tangled up inside. We get upside down, inside out, and backwards. We don't know which end is up. And so you want to make sure that your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit is important in the healing process. As you're putting things back together and maybe reestablishing your life without that person. And we also have to commit and to honor the need to heal, however long it takes. And, and sometimes we think, you know, a relationship that ended, we didn't think it was that big of a deal. And when it ends, we find out, wow, that person took up a lot of space in my life. I didn't really realize that. And so whatever it is you need to do in the, in the healing process, you just need to do it. And you need to commit to you. And you need to say, I'm important enough to care for and care about. And then thirdly, really, really important, never, 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 ever forego your own value system and dishonor yourself by gossiping, slandering, projecting onto others what your partner has done. See, this means that I'm wanting you to go back to being classy. You know that old-fashioned element that causes you to rise above what your ex has done and is doing and may continue to do? That you be a classy person. That you don't just spew out, you know, emotionally or verbally, you know, all this garbage about this person. That you're able to say, you know, I'm probably not in a good place to talk about it because it's not, it's not going to be pretty. And that you make sure that you have a safe person that you can be really candid with. But please be careful about spreading it around just like innocently even or, or just being sloppy in your relating style because people will then have to deal with what it is you told them. And this is really important for you to recognize. I have to be careful about how many people I include 
in this healing process for me. So I want you to be that classy person that looks better than the person that you broke up with. And so, you know, your ex-partner may continue to do all this stuff. But what you say to yourself is, I'm not going to integrate. I'm not going to justify bad behaviors. In other words, don't go down to their level. Don't go down to their level. Rise above. Be a person that has class, that has, has you know, something that people want, that has, you know, the je ne sais quoi, you know, that, that wonderful quality that says, wow, I want to be like that person. Because every human is so valuable. And when you act in a way that devalues you, it's never going to work. And you're disrespecting the God of the universe who created you. And he was happy that he created you. He was glad that he made you. He thought you up and put the effort in to having you created. So I want you to think about <clears throat> that no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter what they act like, and even if they slander you, I want you to trust that the truth always finds itself out. Always. The truth loves to be found. And furthermore, people, you know, they may know more than you thought and just didn't say anything to you. Or, you know, maybe they didn't say out of deference towards you. But people know. And, and I will be very candid with you. I had a divorce early on in my, in my life, and I really thought I was covering a lot of things and that people weren't seeing what my um, soon-to-be ex-spouse was doing to me. I really thought I was managing it. But people knew, and they saw it, and they were careful. And this is why we want to make sure that when we exit toxic relationships, we don't appear as if we're toxic as well. See, there's a difference between being toxic and getting infected with something. And when we're with someone that is cruel, is mean, you know, unkept, uh, is, is brutal, has no moral code that is acceptable in any way, shape, or form. I mean, these people, they, they, they spew out onto us, and we start to think that maybe we're a bad person. And this is where you have to say, no, that's not me. That's not me. So this brings us to the need to assess what steps we need to take. So I want you to remember this one beautiful Bible verse, and it is two words, one of the most famous of all the, the Bible verses that there is. And it's that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Th that statement is the 35th verse in the 11th chapter of John. And it is the shortest verse in the entire Bible, but one of the most poignant and endearing moments in the life of Christ. These two words say so much, speak so much, and tell us so much on so many different levels. And we see it in the famous story of Lazarus, that a much beloved man died. His dying process, his subsequent death, the tremendous grief and loss and bewilderment and anger and shock, this, the entire community was at a loss. And Jesus wept with them. 
See, the loss of something we love, something we have been attached to, or something we've hoped for, is such a familiar pain to humans. And so remember, from, if you've listened to any of these shows, you know that our emotions are not logical. We don't necessarily believe every emotion or every feeling that we have. But we do have feelings if we've had a major loss of a relationship. And those feelings are very natural and need to be honored. We just need to make sure we don't believe all of the feelings that we have. So how do we make the pain stop? Well, we all know of people and have had read about different individuals who, who really did not successfully manage pain, right? This is what we're going to talk about in the next segment. So thank you for joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about how to make the pain stop. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for being here today and for telling your friends about this, the show as well and the podcast that we have. And I really know that this is helping people because I'm experiencing it and people are telling me that it is. And so I really appreciate that and I appreciate your feedback tremendously. So we are talking about recovering life after a toxic relationship. And we left off in that last segment about the problem of pain. And we would all love to go around the pain, over the pain, you know, under the pain, but we don't want to go through the pain. So we think, you know, there's got to be a different way. Well, I, I wish there was. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of, of years of people trying to find a different way to get through a loss and not have pain. So we all know of people and have read about different individuals who did not successfully manage the pain. Because you see, pain demands a response, regardless of the size or impetus of it. it it's, if we think about how, how pain changes us and the need to manage pain and the purposes of pain, this is how we want to figure out how to deal with pain, heal from pain, grow from pain, so that the pain of a loss will be for our gain and not in vain. And that's a super important concept that I don't want your pain to be in vain. I want it to be for gain. So there's something here for us because physically, see, God understands the need for tears and the expression of them. And tears, the composition of tears varies from tear types. Now, this was fascinating to me when I studied up on, on tears. And see, mainly tears are composed of water, salts, antibodies, lysomins, antibacterial enzymes. And according to a discovery by Dr. William Frey, he's a biochemist at St. Paul Ramsey Medical Center in Minnesota, he says the composition of tears caused by emotion differs from that of tears as a reaction to irritations, such as an onion or dust or allergies. See, emotional tears are composed of more protein-based hormones such as prolactin and leucine. And these are natural painkillers. So this suggests that the mechanism behind the experience of crying from an emotion 
really does make an individual feel better. And tears comprised of sorrow actually help us heal and help us to eventually feel better. See, these types of, of, of tears release pain as well as release natural painkillers. So when we think about Christ, he says, Jesus, you know, Jesus needed to feel better. And it gave him strength when he cried. And that beautiful verse that says Jesus wept. So even though crying is often characterized as being weak, we see here a perfect example of Jesus who's being fully human and operating as a human in a most healthy way and responding appropriately to his friends and community. So the emotional expression strengthened and helped him to do the work that needed to be done. So when you think about, you know, this idea of the weeping and wailing women, if you've ever heard of that, well, back in biblical times, if someone had uh, lost a person, there's a funeral, they would call in the weeping and wailing women because the weeping and wailing women helped everybody else access emotion, helped everyone else start to cry. And this is what heals us. So when we think about this, we, we want to understand that God knows the world and God knows the world hardens us and that we need help to feel and that feelings are appropriate in our situation. And we need to know that the expression of pain is actually healing us. And the need to be vulnerable and connected with others strengthens us individually and collectively. Because remember when I said in the first segment, a lot of times we think people don't see what's going on in our relationship, but they see. And they're trying to have good boundaries. They're trying not to intervene. They're trying not to shame or, or cause you to feel embarrassed, <coughs> excuse me, about whatever's going on. But see, the, the expression of pain is healing for you, but it's also healing for your friends and family that had to watch you go through all of this. So this is where we understand that God has designed us to feel. And while it may feel better temporarily, and to, when we protect ourselves from the crying, right, and, and feeling vulnerable in the midst of others, it actually is going to create more, more problems for us. See, the enemy of our soul wants to minimize our pain and maximize our pleasure as a way to thwart the process of achieving a full and rich and abundant life. And so we're going to get lots of temptations to do all kinds of things to assuage the pain, bury it, swallow it, ignore it, deny it, drink over it, eat over it, oversleep because of it, gossip, all this stuff that is human for us to do when we're in pain. So I'm sure you've heard of the grief and loss process. And the grief and loss process was developed by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And it's this five-stage model of grief and loss. And this is, she's a Swiss-American psychiatrist. And she developed this in 1969. And that's when her, her book of On Death and Dying is what inspired her in her work when she was working with terminally ill patients. So it applies to the idea of death and dying in the physical realm, but we can also apply it to the concept of anything that has died in our life. Anything that we have had a loss over. 
So what happens is <clears throat> the first uh, stage of uh, what we would call the grief and loss process is shock and denial. And that is when we really can't believe it's happening, so we just kind of ignore it maybe. Or we just tell ourselves, oh, it's going to get better. I'm not going to worry about it. We might talk about it a little bit, but we're, we're just wanting to pretend like it's not happening or that it didn't happen. So we then end up in what we call stage two, and that's bargaining. And bargaining is the shoulda, woulda, coulda, if only then. So if you've ever been with someone that's made a great mistake or has had a great loss, they always want to do the Monday morning quarterbacking, right? Of thinking that, well, I could have done this and I should have done that. And if I would have done this, then it wouldn't have happened in this way. And it becomes very arduous for our emotional realm. It's painful. Because the fact is, if something died, it died. We can't resurrect it. We can't bring it back. And all we're doing is, is re-injuring the wound that we already have over the loss. So the bargaining is this false attempt to feel better. Like as if maybe I could talk my way out of this and figure out a way to not have to have this loss. <coughs> Which I would love to say is possible, but we know that it's not. And so what happens after bargaining, we go to stage three. And stage three is anger. Now I know that you have felt this before. I have felt it. And sometimes what we do is we swallow the anger. We try to pretend like we're managing it better. And it starts to come out sideways, like on the road when we're driving or not returning phone calls. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about the grief and loss process. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm your host, and thank you so much for telling your friends and neighbors, coworkers about the show. We really want to help the world become a much healthier place. Now, we have a lot working against us, but I think if, you know, we just do one person at a time. So when we do us and we get healthier, we then encourage people around us to also be healthier. So the biggest thing that we're talking about when it comes to recovering life after a very toxic relationship is that there are three things that we have to do. Firstly, we have to reestablish our base. Because when you're in a toxic relationship, you usually lose your identity in a lot of ways. You forget who you are. You don't really remember who you are. Or you don't even think that who you are is okay. So you have to start with that. You know, and God is great about telling us who we are. He loves to tell us who we are. He loves to remind us of who we are. And so I want you to really recognize that, that I need to get back to who am I really? Now, that doesn't mean we're all perfect. I have stuff I'm working on. I'll be working on things till the day I die, right? But I do know who I am. So I know when I'm off. I know when I'm not being me. So the first thing when it comes to toxic relationships, because they scramble us up so much inside, 
that we don't know which end is up. We don't know who we are or who we're supposed to be or should be. And so you want to really reestablish who you are. How do I reclaim the person I was before that relationship? And secondly, we want to make sure we give ourselves time to heal. And what you want to think about is the amount of time, the years or the months that, that you were in that relationship many times indicate the amount of time you need to heal. And so, so you want to make sure that your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit is, is healing because it starts to put us back together and it reestablishes our life without that relationship. And we need to commit to and honor the need to heal. However, we need to do it. Now, I'm not saying that substances are a great way to do it or sleeping is not always a great way to do it. But sometimes we have to do what we have to do. So thirdly, I want you to never forego your own value system. I don't want you to gossip, slander, you know, project onto others who your partner is or what that partner was doing. It's okay to talk about it. But you don't want that to be the only thing you're talking about. So I, I, I say to people, you know, if words, you know, if, if words were your water, would you drink it? If, if words were, you, were your food, would you, eat, would you eat it? And that helps me to recenter myself and recognize I need to be careful what I'm saying because it's going to hurt me more than it will anybody else. So when we talk about the grief and loss process, and we talked about this stage one, okay, we have, it's shock and denial. We just can't believe it happened. We cannot believe it. We keep thinking, I'm going to wake up from this. There's got to be something. It's going to work out okay. This is just a bad patch that we're having. And stage two is the bargaining. And this is where we do the coulda, shoulda, woulda, if only then. And we start saying things like, well, if they would have done this, or I should have done this, or why didn't this happen? We start finding ways to blame someone we want to blame. So we think about stage three, and that's anger. That's when we get tired of trying to bargain and figure it out. That's why we're out of shock. We're not in denial so much anymore. And now we're mad. Now we're really mad about all the time we invested how much heart we put into it, how it occurred, how it ended, why it shouldn't have, all of that. And then we go into sadness and mourning. And that's not, uh, that's not a fun one. We'd rather be angry because at least we feel like we're alive. But sadness and mourning is important, and that's why we talked about that idea of Jesus wept, that he brought in the weeping and wailing women because many times we have a hard time accessing our sadness and allowing ourselves to cry, to wail. You know, to, to do when you're a little kid and you're crying so hard you can't get your breath, right? And so this is why it helps us get to the stage five, which is acceptance. And it helps us to accept the fact that this did happen and I do have a life afterwards. And there's always going to be impediments in the healing process as we move through those five stages. But we employ these often without even being consciously aware of their derivation of the impact. And so we need to work really very concisely on this because if we don't, 
we're going to get a lot of those negative defense mechanisms. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about recovering your life after a toxic relationship. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and I truly appreciate you tuning in today and sharing the, the show with your friends and family. It's um, a very encouraging thing when we know that the people that we love the most are also working on getting better and being healthier people. So I want you to remember that each week, I send out a single email and it's packed with inspiration and resources to help you really become the best version of you. Because that's what we're really talking about today, is that we don't want that toxic relationship to be able to change who we are. So we want to really be able to get back to being the best version of ourselves, the one that nobody else can do but us. So we're talking about the five stages of the grief and loss process. And we have stage one, which is shock and denial. That's where we just can't even believe it. We can't even take it in. It's too painful. Then we go into bargaining. And we, we're sure it's going to get better. We're sure that it's just one moment. It's just a bad argument, whatever it was. And then from bargaining, when we realize that, wow, this is for real. I think this is over. We get angry. And when we get tired of being angry, we get sad and we mourn. And I um, remembered a poem that I had learned many years ago, and I told it to a client of mine yesterday. And I thought, I'm going to share this poem with you because it's very poignant and it really has helped me in, in, the, in the years. And so this is how it goes. It says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And that's by uh, Robert Browning Hamilton. I, I love that author. And so this idea of pleasure or sadness, pleasure or mourning, and see, pleasure is never pleasurable if we're mourning something, because then we're trying to use our pleasure to medicate. And it doesn't heal the wound. I wish it did. If it did, I would, uh, hey, every, every hour at my office would be a party if that's what we needed to do. But that doesn't work. So let's think about this step, this last step, which is acceptance. And what you've heard me say so many times, acceptance, the key to all my problems, right? And as a, as a caveat, it's very important to remind yourself that acceptance does not mean agreement. See, there are some things I just simply accept. I can't change them. If I could change them, I would have. So there are things that I accept, things I don't even agree with that I accept, things that I don't like and I still accept them. If I can't change them, I need to accept them. Otherwise, I'm wasting energy. So if the relationship went poorly, I'm finding out that maybe the person I was with was actually toxic, not just dysfunctional, 
but really maybe evil, right? Hugely selfish, maybe a narcissist, who knows? So it's recognizing that I, wow, I may have just overlooked that completely, and I'm needing to now accept the fact of who this person really was. And you see, this is where we start to find that a lot of people see it and don't say anything about it because they're covering. They're covering us. They're protecting us. They may say a few things here and there. But this is where we understand that, wow, acceptance says, I have too much information to be in denial, right? And so acceptance, this is a, a really important thing for us to do because if we don't, we get emotional blocks. If we don't, we're not able to reestablish our base like we talked about in the very beginning of the show. If we're not willing to accept things, we can't move on. And this is what happens if we're refusing to move on. If we refuse to heal, if we refuse to accept the fact that this relationship ended, or this person did this to me, or the employer did this to me, whatever it was, if we refuse to accept it, we are then locked in that moment and we can't move on. Even though time keeps going, we don't change. And it ends up infecting us even more. It's kind of like, you know, the bologna sandwich in the backseat of the car in Phoenix. Pretty gross. So we, we also might not want to accept it because we don't want to, you know, add grief to other people. Well, that's our codependency, right? We might be overdependent on the person we lost. So we don't really know who we are now. We might be hanging on to the grief as a means to hang on to that person at least in some way, shape, or form. You know, maybe we don't want to forgive. So it's easier to be angry. And so this is what I want you to think about. There's a couple of things that, that God says that helps us. And this is what, one of the things, this is from Selwyn Hughes. He's one of my, also my favorite authors. He says, God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. I love that. God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. That means I either trust him or I don't. Do I trust God or do I only trust myself? And I'll tell you what, over all the years, it is absurd if I give myself the opportunity to trust myself and not God. I have proven it repeatedly in my life. So we also then realize that we can do some things that help to reestablish the base of who we are. That we can come back as an even better person. And so remember the show that we did on the greatest comeback of all times. I see people in my office coming back all the time and they're better than they were before. So I'm wanting you to really say to yourself, I can do a great comeback. I can come back and I can be better than I was before I ever met this person. And so one of the ways we do that is we practice the golden rule. And it may sound crazy, but the golden rule, okay, it says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that is so powerful because it causes you to be in a completely different stratosphere than all the other people that are lazy enough to only want to get you back, that are hell-bent on getting you back because of something you did. 
And so when we look at this, it's so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Do, to, do unto others as you would like them to do. And then, then God goes on and gives even a bigger command. He says, hey, I give you a new one. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is a whole different topic. And I've done shows on this before about loving yourself and the other. And that many times we just love the other, but we don't love ourselves. And you have to understand that God loves you. You're very, very precious to him. He wants to think he can depend on you to take care of the one that he loves. He wants to know that you value the person he died for because he loves you this much. So sometimes we think the, the golden rule is this reciprocal thing, like we're going to do good and then we'll get something good back. Really what it's saying is the more good you do, the easier it is to be good, the more you're going to like yourself. See, we're trapped in this body, right? We can't live without this body. So I want people to make peace with themselves. They're with themselves all the time through eternity. So the most effective way I've found to heal from toxic, hurtful, deceitful, abusive, painful, destabilizing, and shameful relationships is to really reestablish who you are. This is the time that you can have to say, I'm going to do a reset. I'm going to do a reset. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be the person I want to be, the person I know I can be, the person that I actually like to be with. And that's when you give yourself time to heal. And you don't forego your own value system. Don't demean and dishonor yourself by doing false, you know, r r uh, false behaviors that you think are going to make you feel better. Gossiping, swearing. Well, swearing sometimes we need to do, <laughs> if I'm going to be really honest. And so, but not at somebody, okay? So this is where we want to think about that we don't want to go down to their level, no matter what that person has done. And we let ourselves go through the grief and loss process. And we let ourselves grieve. And this is why this whole process that Dr. Kubler-Ross has come up with has worked for every single entity, person, every single uh, people group, you know, whether it be Latin America, whether it be Canada, whether it be China, this works for humans. And this is why it's so important to go through that. And I want you to really recognize that you deserve to be loved. And the best way to help people love you is to love yourself. So do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And turn it around and say, I'm going to do unto me the way I would like others to feel. Because when I do it unto me, I get good at it, and I love then to give it back. We become more generous people. See, we need to be the best version of who we are. The person you are not allowed to be in that relationship. 
And we need to remind ourselves that God causes all things to work together for good if we let him. So I want you to have a great comeback. I want you to be better than you ever were before. I want you to be wiser. I want you to be stronger. I want you to be more confident because those things help us to be more loving. And so I want you to think about this golden rule about doing unto others as you would like them to do unto you. In other words, we're saying treat all like you want to be treated. More than that, though, treat people as God has treated you. And God has been very kind to us. I say frequently to people, you know, God is kind, you be kind. So when we find this, this tendency to want to get back at somebody, I want you to think about this verse. This is Romans twelve twenty, And it says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap fiery coals of shame on his head. <laughs> I mean, isn't that just like God? He's like, listen, I'm not just asking you to do something, you know, because, only because it's good for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a payback for it as well. Listen, this is one of the ways people are turned. When they are loved, when they are treated well, when they are understood, when they are accepted, even at their worst, what happens is it becomes embarrassing for them to act like an idiot when people are that kind and that nice to them. And so I want you to think about that. When you're doing this, you heap fiery coals of shame on their head. Not like as, hey, I'm getting back at you, but that that's how it feels because they've held on to things for so long that it's like the good thing feels bad. So I'm so glad that you joined me today. I hope that this was helpful for you. You know, we all have gone through these things. We all have had to deal with it. But God bless you, and I want you to be the best version of you. The only, you're the only one that can do it. So God bless you, and I'll talk to you next week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version.